Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk with my guests about the games that we enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, in 2020, I had a gentleman on to talk about a game that I thought looked absolutely fantastic and aligned with Cast Dice's birthday, which was Halloween. And you guys know how much I love my nostalgia and, of course, we were talking about Don't Look Back at that point, which was the the game that allows you to play out all of those 80s horror slasher flicks, Friday the 13th, Halloween, etc., etc. And, man, I was excited. And then, man, COVID, and I didn't get a chance to play it. But recently, I've been going back, and I'm trying to hit all the games that I missed because of COVID lockdowns and whatnot, and I got together with our good buddy John, who had painted up a brilliant set of Don't Look Back. And so I finally got a chance to play, and my God, was it good. But we're going to talk about that in a minute, because since that time, the same game developer has put out another game that is 100% in my wheelhouse. We're going to talk Violent Dark because in space they can't hear you scream, but they can hear us talking to the author of that wonderful game, Matt Burns. Welcome back to Cast Ice. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Man, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. Man, I have so many talking points. I don't know where to start, but let's let's start with the game that we talked about the last time you were on. Uh, your game, Don't Look Back, which is, of course, made by Black Sight Studios, um, you are a game developer who works with them and putting out several of their, I believe it's called the Backroom Games. And yeah, don't. Yep. And you've also put out Regime Rumble. Now, I've not had a chance to play that, which is world leaders with rocket launchers battling out in an arena. But, my God, you have been on a roll as far as games go. Uh, for those who didn't hear the last episode, how did you get going with Black Sight Studios and how did that lead into... Um, the trifecta of games that is out now? Well, um, so it actually started uh, COVID, believe it or not. So I had a lot of extra time and I started writing a game. And I've been talking to Ben and Connor at Blacksite just about terrain and gaming in general. Um, ben had made me like a whole bunch of custom terrain. And I just asked him one day, I was like, hey, I'm working on this game and I don't know a thing about the industry. Do you have any any insight or anybody I can talk to. And he was like, well, Connor and I are actually looking at getting into publishing uh, within the next year. So why don't we talk about it? So I showed them that game. Um, they were really into it. We hit it off like right away. We're like mm -hmm. very, we gel very well um, in like a creative space. And they said, let's work on something that's not the game that you brought to us just to, to do something together and see how we how we gel. So I wrote this game um, called Anomaly, mm -hmm. and it was a space horror 
fun game with its nod to H.R. Geiger and Alien and all these great, you know, movies that exist. And it was a lot of fun. And we, you know, we put some time into it. Um, and then Ben came to me and was like, hey, I really like horror games. Do you think you could write a horror game? So I said, sure. And I was like, sometime the next morning, I had the rough draft for Don't Look Back and gave it to him, which then was called Slasher originally. So I gave that to him and they were all into it. And that was just, we started exploring the whole production process and materials and writing. And Ben was really interested in getting into layout. And so he just kind of did it as a little trio. And we've been working together ever since. That is brilliant, man. Now, somewhere in there, Regime Rumble started. And <laughs> and you mentioned Anomaly, which of course became Violent Dark. Violent and Dark, Slasher, yep. which became Don't Look Back. What I love about these games is, I know you mentioned, ah, oh, yeah, and the next day I had it done. Clearly the game has been through some iterations than then because having played your games now and having spoken to you before, you guys do like to play test these games and make sure that they work. I, I think... From an indie game perspective, I mean, you could make the argument that it isn't true indie because Black Sight is a company and does produce a lot of products, but they're more known yeah. for their terrain than anything else. To have an indie set that's as good as these is awesome, and it is so much fun to play. Given COVID problems, how did you get playtesting together, and is that one of the reasons why, for example, Violent Dark has such a strong solo play component to it? Yeah, so um, the playtesting during COVID, so when I first, so I guess I guess to sort of back it up one step, even before we got into playtesting, Ben and Connor and Black Side Studio are located in Texas, and I'm all the way over here in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So there was already a distance gap to begin with. Um, I'm not a very techie guy, but they were like, Hey, there's this thing called tabletop simulator. Do you think you can put together? Don't look back slasher at the time into that. And we can, you know, we can play it. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out and still like hacked that up pretty good. Mm -hmm. We just had like blank little pieces with, <laughs> it was a mess, but we did a lot of tabletop simulator uh, for Don't Look Back and Don't Look Back because it was their their first game, my first game. Um, we didn't really have a lot of play testers for Don't Look Back to start with other than Ben, Connor, and I. Um, and then every once in a while, we would have somebody else kind of would pop in and, you know, play a game. Um, but because it was them figuring everything out and them not really knowing me as well yet, there wasn't really like the resources mm -hmm. at that at the start. So it was a lot of just us just figuring stuff out. Um, but now we do a lot of play testing. Um, people play with their local groups. We have a pretty robust play testing group um, that we kind of carefully crafted. Like for me, the big thing is that I don't want an echo chamber. You know, mm -hmm. I want people to obviously enjoy the game, but I don't want people to just sit there and tell me what I want to hear. Um, so I have a really great group of people who know my vision and what I want out of something. Mm -hmm. And they are really good at breaking it or giving really good suggestions that make the game better and not what they want Yeah. at the end of the day. Like they don't change it for their own benefit, which is, you know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So big shout out to them if they're listening. 
clearly you guys have been working on, I mean, the product, uh, just the violent, uh, violent dark is almost a, a progression of what you guys were doing with don't look back. And that's not to say that don't look back isn't a finished game, but it does violent dark feels like, mm -hmm. like the next logical step in the cycle of game development almost. Yep, um, but absolutely. even but even then, if you look at what Blacksite has done product release-wise with Don't Look Back, they've repackaged the game from when I first bought the original box set, which of course had the the MDF terrain in it and all the MDF tokens, and of course had the VHS case that has the little cutouts on the inside that turn it into a carrying case. Awesome, by the way. Um, but then, but it it was a little on the pricey side because it had so many great components. Um, but it didn't have tokens, for example, or the light, um, the light tokens that are so important in the game, and you know cards that made it easier to put on the tabletop so you didn't have to flip through books. But just having played John's version of the game, which is the newer package, uh, which has those cards, it's the same content that's in the book but it just is a little easier to lay out on the tabletop compared to mine, which was the very first. Same game, just packaged differently and is a lot cheaper and much easier to pick up. It feels real good now, and it's great to see that it wasn't just that the company didn't just clap its hand and say, well, I'm done, let's move on to the next thing. Like Clearly, Blackside has gone out of its way to make these games as enjoyable and easy to play on the tabletop, and they're not afraid to innovate on what they've already done, even though the game is out. Um, were you a part of that process as well, or was that sort of the guys behind the scenes at Blackside? Um, <clears throat> so I think, I think first the big thing to say with this is that uh, Ben and Connor, and I think what makes it, and, and what I... I know their business model and their interest that will keep it this way as an indie company. You talked about them being, you know, an actual company producing things, mm -hmm. but they're really about the grassroots. Like they are 100% behind supporting um, creators with what they want to do to the best of their ability. So with the repackaging and things, um, when the game first came out, when we first designed it, the whole idea was that, um, it would be a boxed experience to really hit like that nostalgia of like the eighties and nineties mm -hmm. where, you know, everything is at the table. People are ask regularly, like, are you going to put PDF rules out? And I, for don't look back, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I want people to have a book and to be looking at it together and have that togetherness around the table with physical things. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, I mean, like you said, it was more expensive. It was heavy. And oh God, when yes. we first, it was, it was crazy. Um, but when it first, when we first launched it, it was really the idea or the thought was that, you know, we didn't know who was really going to be into it, how many people are going to be into it. And it was going to be, it was originally designed to be a little bit more of like a boutique item um, where the boxes were going to have like a, a hand spray painted logo, you know, with a stencil on the front. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of, the vision for it but then thankfully and awesomely it really kind of took off like people are really into it and it became apparent very quickly that um it needed to be able to be distributed easier 
And for people who wanted to take the risk on a new game, um, it, it needed to move to a different price point so that people would be more interested in giving it a shot. Uh, and while still, since they manufacture everything, still having the cabin um, and the MDF components available, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, if you're overseas or somewhere else and you just want to get the game, you know, it's just much easier to ship and where like three of the original core game fit in a box. I think it's like six or eight fit in one now. Um, and it still weighs less. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. so they, they came to me, which, you know, as a company, they very easily could have said, we're ditching this, we're doing this. Um, this is what we're going to do. Uh, but they, they came to me and said, look, we need to look at how we want to do this. We're, we need to take the MDF out, but then in place of that, what are components that you'd want to add in? Um, so that's where we started being able to go back in and, and create the cards and have some of those card assets um, and moving the tokens from MDF to um, the like punch out, you know, like board game style tokens mm-hmm. uh, just made it you know more affordable, lighter um, visually. It was different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it was really it was like a collaborative effort. And, you know, Ben Ben did all the art for the, you know, for the cover of the new box and. It was really great. It was definitely a collaborative effort um, or or if there were things that that weren't a choice, not because they were trying to be crazy business people, but, um, you know, just financially or manufacturing, then they would say, you know, I was in on every step of the way and I didn't really have to be for some of that stuff, but they exactly. were very inclusive in the conversations. You know, this is what we're looking at. This is kind of what we can do. Um, the other side of that is that they really wanted to keep as much as possible being manufactured in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And some of some of these assets and things are a little harder to have made in the United States. So mm-hmm. there aren't as many choices sometimes. But, you know, it was really important for us to try and get as much manufactured here in the United States as, as possible. Um, and that actually, as COVID wore on, became uh, a big asset as well because there wasn't supply and distribution issues getting things into the united states for materials since it was all you know mostly sourced within the united states as much as possible exactly and it goes beyond i I did mention the reissue of the core game with its new components but the game Mm -hmm. goes well beyond that now the last time you're here we did talk about one of the expansions that was coming out and we talked about a few of the things that were coming down the pipe well, now we're significantly on in time. But before I get to the expansions, I do want to talk about an element of Don't Look Back. And I know I, we are going to talk Violent Dark in a minute, but I really wanted to draw an underline under this, having re-listened to our last conversation about it. Now that I've played it, I know that my version or both versions of Don't Look Back have uh, a set scenario, set of scenarios in the game, five, I believe, um, mm-hmm. that you can play out and they are the the horror movie genre tropes it's brilliant for example in my first game of don't look back my art you know i was at a party with a group of my teenage friends and one of our buddies stumbles off drunk into the dark and we have to go find him and as we go looking for him lost in the night we hear a chainsaw revving uh cue game (laughs) and that was brilliant but then i played a second game and it was there had been a series of deaths and we as a group of, you know, teenagers, plucky teenagers had figured out, oh, there's this ancient evil that is out and about. And we had to go collect 
all of the pieces that were necessary for the the ritual to uh, exercise the demon or to get rid of the 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 killer and so we were running around in the dark and in that game we were playing in a snowfield so it was like trying to dig up find you know slipping on the ice and falling over trying to find all of the pieces in the frozen wasteland to get back to the summoning circle to get rid of the 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 being before time ran out and it got us and i thought that was great and i was like cool but once you play those five how replayable could this be without the expansions? Well, let me tell you, boys and girls, as we talked about in the last episode, just the basic game gives you five separate versions of the killers. We have the mundane. And so it's like, what if the ice cream man went crazy? We have the mutilated, your Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees kind of character who's chasing people down. You have the familiar where someone you know and love is all of a sudden coming to get you, um, but you don't know until they get you. You also have <laughs> the disjointed, who um, you know is kind of like the ring. If you've seen that, like creepy, crawly, weird joints going around the place. And then we have the ethereal, the ghost. In the first game I played, I played the mutilated with the chainsaw, mass or you know chainsaw massacre guy coming after you. Uh, hence the revving chainsaw. But then in the second game, I played the disjointed, and wow, was it a a very different gaming experience. The way the killers interact with the game and the way that you have to deal with them and survive while trying to achieve the scenario, completely different experience. So all five killers give you very different experiences, and then as you plug that into different missions... It is that, man, this game, just in its core game, is so replayable. Clearly, you guys put a lot of time working on that, into that. But, man, I have to take my hat off to you. That is genius. Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. I mean, that's, that's the hope is that win or lose, um, you know, a plot, a scenario, you enjoy it. You know, that's, that was really the bottom line playing a solo game, like if you're, you know, during lockdown or whatever it is, when you play, you're still enjoying it, even without having somebody physically there. But then when you bring in other people, then you enjoy it all together. You know, that's, and you know, whatever happens makes it a good story instead of just, oh, we lost this time. You know, I want it to be like, yeah, we lost. That was awesome. Like losing is great. <laughs> yeah, and we lost our second game. Um, we got two of the. Uh, we got to turn ten out of twelve, and we got the two closest objectives and got them back to the summoning summoning stones. But as the the disjointed was coming to get us, she brings up the fear mechanic in the game, and so that meant that it was harder for characters to to move. Because um, when you, like in all good horror movies, when you're scared and you're running, what do you do? You trip over. And so we had every, you know, had to be really careful because, you know, we're thinking slippery ground. This thing's coming to get you. And yeah, the the quote unquote jock character kept falling on his face. Uh, Meanwhile, the nerdy girl from the AV club was slowly making her way to get to the to the objective. But we realized she couldn't make it all the way back. And man, so we were like, oh, this has to, you know, we kind of succeeded in our goal, but this will definitely lead to a sequel. So while, you know, all our characters didn't die in that particular game, 
it it definitely felt exactly like the movie should. And tr- we didn't win that scenario, but it felt really good to not win. Yeah. Yep. See, that's that's the end of the day. That's the goal. Even when you lose, it feels good. <laughs> exactly right. And yeah, in the first game, we did win. I was like, oh, that's great. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the chaperone from the party, the good uh, psychologist who was accompanying the teenagers into the dark to find their friend, uh, didn't quite make it back. Um, yeah. Mm, almost. <laughs> but then that as she rounded the house to, to get to the exit point. Ta-da! Who jumped out? Chainsaw. So... <laughs> That was the end of that. But um, since that time, I have mentioned, you guys have put out a lot of expansions for Don't Look Back. Now, the idea was that there would be a, a series of VHS cases that you could put on your shelf like we always did in the 80s and when you had your own VHS tape. And it would almost bookend like a set of books on a bookshelf, for example. Uh, and man having seen a a bunch of these stacked up when we set up the game, it looks really great to have that stack of cases and then have all the models in it. But in each one of those, you get a a very different gaming experience. So you have Death on the Line, which is the chainsaw-wielding loony, uh, which has a locomotive theme. Uh, You have Attack of the Greys, which is, of course, aliens, um, as in the old big-eyed aliens uh, from... The X-Files. We have yep. <laughs> Dar- Dark Hearts, which is demons, um, where you have to find the demon name, the demon's name to dispel it. Meanwhile, you get a new playable character as the priest. Uh, we have the Final Girls, which gives, just gives you more playable characters. You have the Sideshow Slaughter, which is, all, you know, the killer clown with the, the balloons that follow you around. Very creepy. Uh, we have supporting character miniatures. Now, supporting characters do appear in the game, uh, and they're in mm-hmm. all the missions, but you get named supporting characters, which is awesome, which basically gives something for your killer to chase at the end of the game so you have a chance to catch your breath and maybe win. We have the Curse of Oak Hill. Uh, oh, sorry, that's the one with the priest. And then you have the yeah, Demon yeah. Ballerina. The Gord mm-hmm. Reaper, which is... Um, an ethereal ghost with a giant pumpkin head, Mama Luna's Pizza, the werewolf expansion, but with a playable character who can turn into a werewolf. Um, we have Terror on the High Seas, for those of us who love Jaws, yeah, and all sorts of other expansions through um, some of the crates, that you, the cursed crates that you guys have been putting out with bonus miniatures and things like that. Man, there's just so many good things. And that doesn't even include some of the card expansions that you guys have done. This is must this has been a pretty wild ride for you guys. You keep putting out cool expansions for this game and the game keeps growing and growing. Yeah, it's been like you said, I mean, it's been it has been a wild ride. And that also is, you know, in a big part to the people um, like yourself who support the game. That means that I can then keep creating stuff. Um, and really a testament to Ben and Connor and how and how much they're willing to support a creator, you know, and, and with whatever um, it is that I kind of want to come up with. You know, I, th- I think at this point, Don't Look Back is kind of proven that it's successful. So I get a lot more leeway with it. But mm-hmm. when it first started, I, you know, as most projects would when they start, it was a very specific like kind of word count and page numbers. Mm-hmm. Um 
and you know I had a you know a very specific kind of framework that I had to work in. Uh, where now I kind of get to go bananas and write what I want and create what I want, um, and they support it to the best of their ability, which honestly to this point has been everything. I haven't really had to compromise on anything that I've made or written. You know, they've been able to support it. That's awesome. And what perfect timing too, because with Violent Dark, mm-hmm. like, you you definitely were able to spread your wings a little bit more. Uh, you yes. can tell. And man, it, it feels real good. Now, if we look back at the history of this, as you said, the very first game that you went to them with was, I believe, Anomaly, which became Violent Dark, but you actually did these other projects. They came out first, and that gave you a chance to tighten up or to refine your ideas for what became Violent Dark. And now, yeah. when you have more freedom with the miniatures, with um, you know word count and with everything else, you've proven yourself. Is this your masterpiece? Are you really excited about this? Or is this just another step in the process? I, I, I am super happy with it, but I feel like it is, it's just another step in the process. Brilliant. Um, but with this, I am really excited. Uh, we don't have an exact date or anything set, but um, I am really excited to go back and do a version two rulebook for Don't Look Back nice. to be able to expand on it. Um, like things in violent dark that I was able to do is fit it. Like there's lore in here, you know, I got Mm -hmm. to tell stories. Um, I got to, you know, I had the room to be able to go in and do things like designers notes and talk about Mm -hmm. some intention and some ideas and suggestions. Um, it's just a really, it's a really cool evolution as a writer to have gone from don't look back to this. And now I'm like really excited to, go back and revisit kind of our baby um, and be able to give it the same, you know, a, a facelift, you know, get back in there and just mm-hmm. really go in with like designer's notes. And I've learned a lot about writing, like just rules, writing clarity, um, functionality. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited to go back and revisit that and kind of hit it with some of the things that I've learned since then. Definitely. Well, Let's talk about Violent Dark because sure. I, I have to say, man, it is one of the, my favorite games that I've played in the last 12, 18 months. It is so much fun. Let me read the blurb because I think it does sum up. And if I tried to give you the elevator speech, my elevator speeches go for 15 minutes. So Violent Dark <laughs> is a 32 millimeter co-op or head to head game that pits the crew of a massive corporation's ship or a planetary facility against the threats of the galaxy that lurk and prey beyond the dark. It's a game that is played with three to five miniatures per side on a two by two area. I have all the feels about this game in that when I was playing it, I was on the edge of my seat. It was tense, but at the same time, it was so much fun and it hit all the right notes. As you said, for those of us who really dig Alien. Now, for those of you who are expecting Aliens, where you have 50 aliens coming out of the woodwork with all the automated guns, and I will come back to that in a minute, um, and a bunch of Marines you know, blasting away full auto, this is not that game. This is <laughs> Alien, 
where you have maybe one gun if you're lucky and most of the people are running around unarmed and as you go things start creeping out of the I would say the woodwork but obviously we're in space coming out of the corners and the shadows where you least expect it my god does it feel good clearly you have a love of this as of this genre as well why did you choose that particular way instead of the more conventional what people would expect which is the blasted up shoot it up game and how how did that change with the development of don't look back oh man so i think as a designer i go into a project thinking about what it is that I want to capture before I even start doing any rules, anything like what does the, does the genre mean to me and what is it that I want to explore in the play space on the table? Mm -hmm. And then I start to kind of write all that kind of stuff down. And then that sort of leads into, into rules. Um, and there's just, (laughs) so what I kind of like to say is that violent dark. So, If I were going to, I couldn't write the alien expansion, that kind of genre for Don't Look Back. It needed to be revisited and be its own game. Like Mm -hmm. that's how much I love it. It it wouldn't fit in a VHS case. And Don't Look Back just wouldn't do this the justice that that I wanted it to have. So this game, what I love about it is what I think of the alien movies or even blade runner mm-hmm. um the thing it's all about that atmosphere it's about like in my head the lighting the flickering lights the confined spaces the grit and the grime and and don't look back you're playing a named character who you're kind of invested in you know are they going to make it through the night are they mm-hmm. going to survive this plot in violent dark um, the characters are for the most part unnamed and they are a corporate resource. So you're basically churning through thawed crew, mm-hmm. um, to save the bottom line, not to save the crew. They're like in some of the lore you find, they're basically a commodity, you know, a ship could, could dock at a station and basically buy cryo tubes of people and just replace what they lose. Mm-hmm. So violent dark is all about, <clears throat> when you play it in its, in its campaign mode, it's about following actually the threats evolution. They start to evolve and adapt to their interactions with, with the crews of these ships and these planetary facilities. Um, and the crew really never get better. They're always just mm-hmm. people coming out of a tube while the, the threats are learning and adapting um, you can get facility upgrades. That's about as good as the people get exactly. you know, as your, as your crew. Um, but even in the game, there's a rule, um, that's like distance finance and bureaucracy where we, even when you go into a game with a facility upgrade, there's a chance that where you're at, either they didn't want to pay for it. It just hasn't reached you yet. Um, and you don't actually get to use it for the game. So <laughs> exactly. So, right. Yeah, it's about it's about the two by two play area. It's about the environments and the sectors. Um, it's about literally not being able to escape. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to focus more on this game is how the crew uses the environment to contest the threats. So the Xeno are 
super brutal, like can kill you in one hit. Oh yeah. Brutal and they game. do. <laughs> and they do. And it's about using bulkheads and maneuvering and getting away and buying time. Like, you know, you're going to die. It's mm-hmm. about buying time to do what it is that you need to do. Exactly. Um, and then like, well, we can talk about rogue synth later, but, but each threat is is designed to play within that, that two by two, um, environment differently. So that's really what I wanted to capture was the environment, the feel, the flashing lights, the like running on the grating, finding bodies, you know, mm-hmm. the possibility of, you know, having to suit up or not be in a suit and have to jump from one bulkhead through space to another bulkhead mm-hmm. door um, to get away. So now, it's just environment, environment and claustrophobia and that really that idea that in space nobody can hear you scream. And you're just, you're not safe. It's not if you die, it's when you die. Exactly. And what happens before you die. <laughs> well, leaning on that, you mentioned that it's sort of generic people and they don't level up in this game. Unlike yeah. Don't Look Back, which has named characters. The cheerleader has a mm-hmm. name. The jock has a name. Seth, the nerd, has a name. And now he has a heroic bust because so many people were fans of him as a character. Um, yeah. <laughs> even though he is terrible now that I've played the game. In Violent Dark, you have genres, not named people. So we have, you know, the heroic lieutenant. We have the plucky castaway, the little kid with the helmet, uh, a.k.a. Newt. We have the sleazy corporate flunky. We have the burnt-out soldier. We have the engineer. We have the doc. We have the captain. And each one of those characters while they have a feel, are very generic. And what adds to that is when you're playing these characters, you can play them as more uh, aggressive or more passive. They have two stances. So there's, it's almost like there's two ways to play them, and it's very hard to change that card once you get going in the game. So you're kind of choosing, even though you get a character and you're like, okay, I'm playing the doctor, and okay, I'm playing the lieutenant, um, if you have multiple characters, you do get some choice about which way you're going to play them. And when they're more active, they may have more, they may have a pistol if they have that or the, but their, their ability to observe their surroundings is lower because they're probably mm-hmm. running and shooting or doing something like that. Whereas with passive, they're much more able to accomplish things because they're taking their time. They're sneaking, but they're also you know, higher observation to be able to find things that they need or accomplish what they need to do. But at the same time, that makes them almost easier prey. So you have to make your choices and, oh man, that can lead to some hard choices uh, at the beginning of the game, like, ooh, which way? But what's also cool is now that may just be when John ran me through it, but I'm pretty sure this is a mechanic in the game is once a character dies, uh, let's say I am uh, the corporate flunky, which happened in one of the games that I played with John. Um, The corporate flunky disappeared off to herself, leaving everyone else to die because that's what they do. And she opened a door, and on the other side was an alien, and she was quickly done away with. When that happened, you actually are able to pull a second character, was each character dies, another you you're able to play another character. Now, if that character died, that that sort of character slot is done. You're not going to recycle a third character. 
each character of the original ones that die, you can bring a new one on to try and accomplish this. Of course, the game's running as you go, and the longer the game goes, typically the more aliens and the deadlier they are there. So it's probably, you know, it's not great to come up mid-game into that scenario. For example, when that corporate flunky died, the captain, you know, woke up out of Kyra's sleep into the room next to where the alien had been just previously. And uh, let's just say she didn't last more than a turn or two after that either. But it is great to have that almost respawning mechanic because Don't Look Back doesn't have that. That is built in, yep. yeah? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's, that's, yep, that's part of, that's part of Violet Dark. But again, you, you have that coming out of cryo sleep, you know, different characters take different amounts of time to come out. So it, it thematically, it feels good. Can you talk to a, a little bit about the character? I, I've mentioned the passive and active sides of their cards and the spawning and respawning. What are some of the other elements, either the elements that I've mentioned or other elements about the characters that you enjoyed when creating this game? So I really liked, um, like like you had said, I, I really enjoyed trying to create two different aspects of people because what I, what I enjoy about a lot of these space horror movies and you know, some of my favorites is even though they are a resource, there's still something innately cool about humans and their response to terrifying situations and mm -hmm. are you going to be aggressive and combative and fight your way to survive um or are you going to be cool calm and collected um and i i love that that even though they don't level up you still are able to sort of approach the situation in a way that interests you mm -hmm. um and and again gives that replayability um and and part of the rules for thawing in there it talks about when you are getting ready to set up the game. There's kind of two ways that you can draw your characters. Uh, so it's it's it like don't look back. It's meant to be random. Um, so the the ship's computer is sort of putting a hole, putting its finger in the hole. You know, this is like a stopgap until we can really figure out what's going on. But you can either flip randomly your character and then choose a random side, whether you're being aggressive or defensive, and that can represent the chaos of the wake up. You know, the, the alarms are going off, mm -hmm. the cryo tube basically thaws you. Um, and then the canopy is just screaming information at you and you're all disoriented and sick and puking your guts out and trying to figure out what's going on. So you can do it randomly. Meanwhile, or you, you have steam venting, lights are flickering. Yes. You know, in yeah. some cases, lights just aren't on at all. In other cabins, it's brightly lit and calm. And you're like, wait, what? What? <laughs> yeah. And then, then you can also choose your characters randomly, but then choose the, the side of the card that you want to play. And that sort of maybe represents uh, maybe like a more veteran crew and they're sort of used to an emergency wake up mm -hmm. maybe. Um, or maybe they have some time and the incident is just starting and they sort of make a plan. You're going to do this and I'm going to do this and you two are going to go off and do this. So again, it sort of helps create a little bit of that narrative in there for, for why your crew is doing the things um, that it does. And there's also opportunities with the dread mechanic, um, which is something that I really enjoyed kind of adding to this 
Uh, as the game goes on, you build up points of dread. And if you're mm-hmm. playing against an AI threat, there's certain thresholds that will automatically make things occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if there's a player threat, they get to sort of accumulate that and be very specific with when and how they want to spend it. Um, and it makes a completely different experience. Um, but there's ways for things to happen. When people panic, you can actually flip um, the character's cards. So they might go from being defensive to panic and now they're aggressive. So they stop kind of focusing on what it is they need to do. And now they're just frothing at the mouth and, you know, fight or flights kicked in and they're ready to fight. Exactly. Now, one of the, and you mentioned dread. And if we're going to talk about that, I'm going to jump down my talking points a little bit here. One of the cool things and one of my favorite mechanics from alien and the beginning of aliens when they're exploring is that they have motion sensors and you know mm-hmm. they see the blips and they don't know, wait, is it a cat? Is it a malfunction? Or is it something coming at you in the dark? Like, what is it? And in the game, that's represented by PTTs, potential threat tokens. And there's always at least one of them on the board. And they, depending on the scenario, there's different numbers of them. And as you go, they move around and they either come towards you or they stop for a second or, you know, different things occur, but they move through walls, almost like they're going through vents and you're just going, oh God, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then when it actually gets to one of your characters or to where one of your characters can see one, you roll to see what it is. Now, if your dread is high enough, they can either automatically spawn a gribbly monster that's going to grab you, or it might cause one of those PTTs to do something wacky, um, like turn into one and jump you. But what I also like is once you have one of those gribblies on the table or heaven forbid two or three, like I did in one game, the more you have, the less likely you are to spawn other ones. I have played games that have, you know, a mechanic a little bit like this in the past, but it can lead to you getting absolutely swamped with monsters or zombies. And you're just going, uh, I really wish that this didn't happen because now the game's getting really bogged down. I really like how this game self manages that to prevent that from happening while at the same time making each and every monster a truly terrifying experience. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, and that's something that I wanted to capture from from Alien specifically. What I love about it is that it, it's sort of like a single hunter. It's this single mm-hmm. thing. You get glimpses of it. It's killing people in the dark. They're finding bits left over. Um, but then it's also you know sort of a nod to Aliens because I do also really love when you know, one's like running down the hall and another mm-hmm. one is like on the side bulkhead running down and like they're on the ceiling. Um, so I love that there's an opportunity for that to happen as well so that you can't feel safe in a gaming environment knowing where one of them is. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know that there could be more. It becomes less and less likely um, and it really ma- it maxes out at three um, for the Xeno. But I, I, I like that even when it first shows up, you're not safe. Like, you you know, you might trap one behind a bulkhead mm-hmm. only to turn around 
and there's another one behind you, mm-hmm. you know, popping out of a vent. So that that for me when we play is something that I that I really enjoy is that ah oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we slocked that one behind a bulkhead finally, or froze it in a certain one of the, in one of the missions you can freeze them. Mm-hmm. But then uh, there's always there could always be more. You That's still know. Right. And I do like that as I'm glad you mentioned uh, trapping one behind a door because that is an important part of the genre and it is in the game. Uh, But man, those bulkheads don't always last very long. Uh, Just like in aliens, when you hear them banging on the doors and you know, people are going, Oh, that's not going to last long. They do get their way through because uh, they're very determined and very strong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and again, I like the feeling as a player of not knowing if they roll really poorly on damage in my last a few turns, if they roll really well, they might just be following you anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I like when players, I like that players have choice and I want people to be able to explore, but I definitely in a horror game, don't want them to ever feel like they can sit on their laurels and just be like, ah, we've trapped it. Now we can do what we want. Mm hmm. No, that is, you're never feeling safe in this game. But adding to that, I mean, dread is one of those things. It's a, it's a mechanic. It's a die you keep off the side. And as different elements happen in the game, the dread either goes up or rarely goes down. And that, as you said, can lead to game effects like uh, a Gribbly showing up or a Xeno showing up, for example. Uh, but there's an additional fear mechanic that happens in this. And individual characters, um, your player characters, get fear when, as you mentioned earlier, they get a glimpse of an alien. If they happen to be facing the right way and they see one run by, they actually get scared. Or, you know, if they're attacked or depending on what's happening in the environment around them, those fear points go up. And they actually, if you have characters running constantly, that, that actually builds up as their adrenaline kicks in. But as you said, once they hit a certain point, you actually, as the player, lose control of the character and you roll on a chart to see what it does as they sort of like lose their mind and go, and then either they run away or they have a particular action and you roll on a chart to see what they do. And then they calm down afterward. So you act and then you regain control of them, but they're still on the verge of a little bit of madness. Uh, And so you but you can mitigate that by. If you are able to take a second by actually taking an action called take a breath and calm down only a little bit each time, but it is a way to mitigate that mechanic. I thought that was a brilliant mechanic that kept the game. It was one of those things like, do I tactically take a breath here or do I risk running away from the doorway that I need to get to? Because, you know, that might be what happens. It was risk and reward and, a lot of gambling and a lot of tense moments and making those hard decisions, which makes for great gameplay, man. How did you come up with that mechanic and work through it? Because that is one of my favorite parts of this game. So it's actually, so, so and if you've played, since you've played, don't look back, you can see how anomaly existed and then don't look back became its cousin. Mm-hmm. So fright tokens are kind of similar to the PTTs. Characters can gain terror and don't look back and they gain panic in this. So you can sort of see how there are similar game elements. Um, But I really wanted them to perform different functions in the game. 
And again, one of the things that I love about the atmosphere and the claustrophobia of um, this, these horrors in space or, or ships or even um, like in Terminator 2, when Sarah Connor is on on the deck above the mm-hmm. big molten lava pool and she's like shotgunning the T-1000 and, you know, she just racks a shot. She's like screaming and like shooting him. And then, you know, he doesn't tip over the edge and she's out of ammo. Mm-hmm. And an alien, when they're looking at their motion sensor and that's inside the room and you're reading it wrong and just mm-hmm. these things, just these every, not every day, but these just these little pieces of the action are driving these characters over the edge. And I wanted to make sure that there was a way that when you're playing or the characters are interacting with the environment or each other, um, that that panic rises. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is like a tempo, you know, like with the dread building up and the characters beginning to panic. Um, and like you said, it becomes a risk reward and, can I, can I push myself? And I wanted to kind of capture that, that psychology and that, that feel of how far can I push myself? And if I do, can I even still function afterwards? Like maybe I get away from the Zeno, but now I'm so stressed that I, you know, my hands are shaking so much. I can't functionally use the tools that I need. And I love that in space space movies as well like when they're out you know doing an eva and they're like trying to do a repair and they're using these big bulky gloves and then they drop the tool and mm-hmm. you just watch it like spin away into space and that's kind of what i think of when these characters are stressed like this even trying to do mundane things that they've been trained to do they no longer have control of that anymore and then watching your character break on the table and do something run off and just do something crazy um and temporarily for the character and for you as the player there's no control you've lost Mm -hmm. control of that character and i think that's just a really fun thing to explore in a miniature game you know it's like i i come from a role-playing background so it's it's really exciting to try and put these things that are generally kind of mind's eye narrative mm-hmm. into a physical miniature game where you're you're playing. And that's always the the tough you have to thread the eye of the needle so to speak because if oftentimes when game developers come from role playing backgrounds they want to fit as much narrative in there as possible um, as would befit their roots but that often leads to gameplay that isn't necessarily streamlined, if that makes sense. I'm not trying to say clunky, mm-hmm. but like really dense. This, I think, is a very sweet game in that it is a very streamlined gaming experience, and yet you still get that really heavy narrative element. And there are so many little moving parts that are, while easy to manage, are also give you that narrative story. Um, that you're describing, I, I, and again, I think this is really well done. So, um, but you you did mention something a second ago. In fact, you've mentioned it twice, and it is another one of my favorite parts of the game. You can wear spacesuits in this game. Obviously, you're going to be running through the inside of a spaceship or on the inside of a, a a facility on a planet surface. But at some point, you can go out into hard vacuum, and there is rules for that. And yes, kids, you can go out into space without a spacesuit. But I really don't Ooh, recommend it. I've seen the rules. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> However, 
Um, you can, in fact, in one of the missions I played, John and I split our characters two went through the inside of the facility to get to the other side, to get to the control room, to try and freeze the alien, to, to get it back to the company's weapon labs. Whereas the other two went, okay, we're going to go to the spacesuit airlock. We're going to put on our suits and we're going to w- try and walk across the planet, uh, the surface of the planet to get to the other side. And what looked like the easy walk, cakewalk through the middle of the facility for you know the engineer and his buddy yeah that didn't last very long and that's where i saw three you know three xeno at once but then (laughs) what that meant was the other two walking across the surface were actually able to do it unhindered until they actually got to the other side and all of a sudden you know one of the aliens that had munched the engineer had gone back the other way and were now coming towards us and was like oh god um but again being able to put on a vac suit, go through an airlock, walk on the planet's surface, come back in. Man, does it feel good. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoy that. And I think one of my favorite little bits is when you first put on a suit, you immediately gain a point of panic. Right. Like there's that claustrophobia of now you've locked yourself in the suit. You don't have the same vision that you did basically like sensory deprivation. You can no longer hear the people around you anymore. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I love that. And then when you go out, you just got the little lights and that's all you're seeing. And you're like moving, you know, slower and it's heavy and it's bulky. Oh yeah. That's, that's some of my, again, some of my favorite cinematic experiences. And if you're in space and not on. on the planet's surface and you're not tethered properly, you can float away. Yes. Oh yeah, Absolutely. So it might seem like, oh, this is the quicker route. You know, I gaming this, I save nine and a half inches of movement. But maybe you don't make it to the door. Your mm-hmm. friends are waiting at the other bulkhead door and you never show up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it wasn't even possibly the alien that got you. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, I guess I'll spawn another character now. Yep. It's the computer will wake up somebody else. It's all good. Exactly. Well, I it looks like... The, from a packaging perspective, looking at Violent Dark, if we look at the core set itself, you get the eight generic characters, you get three Xeno, you get the rule book, um, you get templates, you get cards, all in a, a simple box, just like the new Don't Look Back. But one of the things that makes this game is terrain. Now, you can use your own terrain. I have a Zone Mortalis board that I think would work brilliantly for this game um, that I might try later. Plus, if you have Space Hulk tiles or how many dungeon building hallway systems are there now, and there's even ones for sci-fi space, so that works for that as well. But Black Sight sells the Cormorant, and I am fighting the urge to buy this right now now because this is what john has (laughs) now we did mention this is a game that's played on a two by two and believe me kids you need every one of those little millimeters on that two by two to get where you're going i have never seen a game compact so much into such a small amount of space again the claustrophobia is real if you are playing with the the black side set it's a modular terrain mdf kit that has all the airlocks, has the rooms, um, the sectors, has the hallways, 
um, has the airlocks. And when I played with John, we played with that, one with it being on a spaceship in space, one being on a planet surface. It was just a matter of turning the game mat over. On one side it was a planet, on the other side it was space. Perfect. But, wow, does that game look just, I can't even have enough wonderful adjectives for how well that game looks in that terrain. Now, you don't have to use that terrain, I said it before, but it's 100% worth looking at because damn was it fun to use that terrain. How much, when you were developing this game, did you keep that terrain set in mind? Because movement and uh, how you navigate the terrain is such an integral part of the game. Yes, you can recreate it using other systems, but this seems custom-built for that as well. How much was that a consideration, or did you really write the rules sort of generically and those just slotted in later? So if we go if we go all the way back to when the game was first designed and it was Anomaly, um, Ben and Connor at Blacksite had put out this product called the Arc Kit, mm-hmm. which is essentially like an underground vault system. And it was all very modular. And it was sort of originally designed to work around that because it was very easy to create um, the the sectors that are in it because mm-hmm. the you know each room was its own grid you know it was its own block. Um, but then when I revisited it to make Violent Dark a version two of the game, I really and they also wanted to make sure that it was something that was playable on any kind of terrain. Um, and actually the Cormorant existed post writing version two of it. So they had gone back and kind of redesigned it to, um, for on their end to be a little less material hungry than the arc set. Um, it still works with the arc kits actually. It's all the, it's all the same size. Um, but then there was, there was a different visual color palette that we were going for in violent dark like if Mm -hmm. if you've seen the box and the rule book like it's yellow and inside of it there's some much more kind of brighter coloring to go with it which Mm -hmm. kind of i think is a cool juxtaposition to space horror oh yeah um but i mean it it is 100 the cormorant is designed to be used with violent dark and you can use it with with other things um but we were we were very careful playing games and things and like using planetary surfaces and stuff to to write the rules for sectors in a way that you can create them how you want so you could use like the the well-lit environment Mm -hmm. and then just say you have um you know like a on a planet surface you have like a glowing crystal and within four inches of that is that environment that's the sector you know, the, that crystal is lighting the campsite and you have that. So it's written in a way that you create the sector boundaries, kind of how you want, as long as you have them on the table. And then, you know, there's guidelines in there for you. You, know, you shouldn't really be able to just run from one side of the board of, to the objective on the other side. So whether you create like grottos or impassable forests or, you know, whatever it is you want outside of, you know, kind of like a traditional ship or the cormor- the cormorant set. It's, it's in there to help you have those guidelines. But yeah, that, that kit was basically made specifically for it, for the, you know, the color palette, the, the cream and the red and the gray and the black. Yeah. Yeah, it looks absolutely stunning on the tabletop. And then when you add in 
the close, uh, what is it? Tight quarters, not close quarters, the tight quarters yeah. expansion, which gives you, um, all sorts of little airlock or, um, not airlocks, maintenance like hallways maintenance, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. hatches uh, and these in the diagonal hallways. It, oh, wow, it looks good. It looks so good. Um, and that's where, and that's where, that's where like the, the black site team, like getting to be a part of this group, um, you get to see everybody's individual skills really show. So Ben is like amazingly creative and he sculpts these minis and comes up with this art and you know color direction and creative direction and then connor is really good with um sort of like the numbers and and the you know he, he's really good at helping to play test um because he's got that real like that numbers grasp um, but then he's also an engineer so he was able to look at the the base cormorant set and then create the tight quarters expansion to sort of not only visually but mathematically be able to use the two by two space mm -hmm. um, in different ways and even cover more of it with the Cormorant core set. So you get to see with all these products together um, just where everybody's individual skills shine uh, to make something pretty amazing. Now, just like don't look back, this game has uh Expansions coming up for it. Now, we have the Synths expansion, which is almost mm -hmm. a crash test dummy come zombie, come other creature, if you want to play something that isn't the Xenos. Um, mm -hmm. which, and they play very differently. That You also get uh, additional player characters in there. But you also have um, some named characters in an expansion yes. that has just come out. Um, talk to us about the development of where you see the game going, because I know that the last time you came on and we we're talking about don't look back and it was, I guess, a similar time frame to what we're talking about now. The the chainsaw villain slasher um, character um, from had just come out in that case and the grays were coming next way back when we're sort of in the same design space now, whereas, yeah, you can get the cats to replace the PTTs on the tabletop um, as a little expansion. But now we're into real game expansions where we have the synths and now we have the named characters. Talk to us about those expansions and where you see the game going next. Because as you say, you have a little bit more freedom now um, to develop your ideas now that it's sort of the games are proven to be going and um, you know people are supporting them and playing them and you have some more freedom. What's going on there? So the... Um the, the characters expansion was, was a fun way to explore a little more kind of the idea of uh, the crew being a resource. So even being a named character in air quotes um, doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really mean too much more. So they were, they're a fun way to explore lore um, sort of use some different abilities that, uh, are, are like a little bit more specific and maybe would go with somebody who's spent some time out in the dark and been around. But really being a character, what that means is that you gain the lucky keyword. Mm -hmm. And all that means is that um, you get to ignore some damage once <laughs> in the game. So you've survived and you've learned some skills. Uh, but the fact that you've come back and you're going out again is more luck than it is 
you're some super powered individual. So they were just neat ways to explore some of the lore, some of the um, the corporations, and just sort of the aspect of kind of what life is like for people who live um, in the inner planets. Because again, like my role playing background, I like to have a lot of story. Mm-hmm. So it was just a fun way to sort of give people kind of a glimpse into, you know, some some people's lives and kind of what life is like in the in the inner planets and then out in the dark. Um, the cats are cool. Uh, they're lore wise. People take animals with them into the dark, um, sort of for luck during the passage while they're frozen. Mm -hmm. Um, but cats kind of have a sixth sense towards things like Xeno and other alien species. So people tend to bring them, um, for that aspect. So we wanted people to be able, like you said, you could replace the PTTs with them. You could put them on character bases, uh, they're just fun. They're just, a, again, a neat way to sort of show a little bit more about the world, the universe. Um, so expansions for this. So we have the Rogue Synths because I immediately wanted people to be able to see a different way to play the game and sort of be able to sink their teeth into another way, like I said, to, to interact with um, the table and and battling a threat if you choose to do it. So they're a little bit more squishy you can kind of combat them head to head a little bit more mm-hmm. uh but we were actually talking on stream just this last week about kind of what's going to happen next and we've gotten into it don't look back the idea of these cursed crates which which are quarterly ish a collection of expansions for don't look back so instead of doing something every month i kind of concoct some stuff up it gets play tested and then it kind of comes out um in a group like together like a bundle and then it'll you know, then it'll go out into general sale as individual items. So we're going to do the same thing with Violent Dark. Um, but what I really want to explore in the first expansion coming has the Xeno Matriarch, which is going to be a cool, larger mini. Um, so a new Xeno type. Um, the Xeno Matriarch is going to have its own uh, special scenario that comes with it and some neat rules uh, for how it interacts with the terrain and the crew. Uh, and then it will also, this first kind of collection, which we're still working on the name for it, um, kind of it's the supply drop, the company's supply drop mm-hmm. might be, you know, something we might name it. Uh, it's going to have a name to Zeno. So uh, you'll get to see what a, a, a persistent threat that that kind of has a name for itself now. People have seen it in different places. But I think that the big thing that we're really looking at doing is having these come out and continue the story of the corporations and these crews encountering the Xeno, um, which are new to them. This is like a new threat. Uh, it's going to have player-based a player-based campaign. So players will be looking to achieve objectives um, and we'll sort of collect results. And then that's going to have an impact on the future narrative and then future expansions um, for things like facility upgrades or adaptations um, or specific missions that sort of represent a place, you know, like a specific space station that people will be able to, to take part in. So I'm really excited to start um, having the players participate more as the expansions in these collections start to come up. 
That is so cool, man. I can't wait to see more of this. And uh, thankfully, because John has the Cormorant set, I, I can't wait to play a lot more of this on that terrain. And I might just get him to play on mine and see just what playing on a different tabletop does with this. Ooh, ideas, ideas. Anyway, I guess that's um, fodder for a future episode. I hate to say it, but we are running a little bit short on time, sir. I have to say, Matt, as always, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, it is always a pleasure to talk about these games, especially now that I've had a chance to play them, and they are even better than advertised. So excited to play more. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying them, and thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's fun. Love getting, I love getting to talk about gaming. It's fun. Well, speaking of talking about gaming, people can find you regularly on the Black Sight Studios uh, stream. You guys have a YouTube channel, and you guys play games and talk about the future of those games slash what Black Sight's doing. Sort of a, a chats-come-game session, uh, much like, you know, if you're ever playing a casual game with some friends, it gives you a yeah. chance to... Uh, to, to listen in to the, the brains behind Black Sight, but at the same time, a little bit of a tutorial of how to play the game as well. Um, where can people find that? Because that that is a great resource, especially uh, when you're looking to figure out how to play the games. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We encourage people to come on over and chat and ask questions. Uh, so usually we stream on Twitch um, under BSS Terrain. So it'd be twitch.tv backslash BSS Terrain. Um, and we stream Don't Look Back and Violent Dark and all the other crazy stuff that we're playing and working on. Um, you can find them uh, both Don't Look Back and Violent Dark um, and Regime Rumble. Um, they have Facebook pages, so it'll be um, Black Sight Studios and then you know uh, Don't Look Back or Violent Dark. Um, yeah, and then they also have YouTube, which is also under the BSS terrain header. Mm -hmm. um we're really active in discord um so come on over and hang out with us there that's actually the best way i usually get back to people within 24 hours if they have questions people are always posting their paint jobs and their terrain and the tables and scenarios and just all that good stuff it's a it's really everybody says that their their internet group is like the best um but really it is it's just a welcoming place with people of all different skill levels, um, all having something to share um, and something to add to each of these games. But we would love to have you. So come on over, hang out. That's awesome. Now, when I was looking to find the miniatures in these games and was looking to buy things, um, I know that I constantly ran into my own stupidity and kept trying to put Black Sight Miniatures. It's not, guys. It's blacksightstudios.com. Uh, so if you yes. go there, you can find uh, both, you know, well, all three, Regime Rumble, Don't Look Back, and Violent Dark. But, oh, man, I, I, I fall into that awful situation where I start looking at the beautiful MDF slash um, 3D rendered terrain and vehicles that Black Sight do. And, man, they just put out a mystery machine van and, you know, the gang, uh, and I want to play them and don't look back. And they also did a whole bunch of, you get STLs for 70s style uh, police cars and uh, news vans. And uh, I just, I just want to set up either like a diehard action type table or uh, having some 70s style police cars 3D printed in 
Marvel Crisis Protocol scale and just have a bunch of police cars on the board. Just so many terrible ideas. If you have not looked at Blackside Studios, their stuff works for so many games. It is so good. I cannot recommend enough. Take a look, guys. And I will, I will leave you with this. We are looking to play a game where um, we'll be playing Don't Look Back as four German terrorists and the killer will be a um, off-duty police officer crawling through the vents with his MP5 to slowly hunt us down as we try and achieve our terrible goals. Oh, man, you just made my day. Oh, oh, cue the Christmas music. Oh, I have, <laughs> <Yep>. got, <laughs> I have got to watch this. Please tell me that's an expansion coming for Don't Look Back or Violent Dark because I have got to get that. That's amazing. Yeah, we'll put the rules up for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Well, guys, uh, as promised, I did say a long time ago that I was going to play these games, and I'm so glad that I have and that we've had a chance to revisit them and come back to talk about them on the show. Uh, I know there's a lot of other great games that people have been talking to us uh, about that wanting to cover on the show. If you have any requests uh, besides Bolt Action, but because I'm getting inundated with Bolt Action requests at the moment. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I love Bolt Action, and I'm, I plan on talking about it lots. But if you have uh, any suggestions for future show ideas, or if you have feedback of anything that I've said today or in prior episodes, please go to the Cast Dice Facebook page and message the page. You're guaranteed response by me. Hi, my name is Brad. Uh, just remember that because I'm a teacher and because I live in Australia, I, and I do occasionally sleep. Your time zone and my time zone don't always line up. So uh, just give it a few hours, but you will get a response. And when I start talking about my sleep patterns, it's probably time to call it a day. So let's go with what my buddy Casey always says. When you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Stop.